Okay. Um, now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to, good, to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who call you, calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I now welcome what always happens when Mike reads, both thankfulness and a comparison between our styles. Uh, sometimes it's a ship that's a, that we're compared. Sometimes it's a car, but ultimately I'm the fast car, not necessarily the cool car. Mike's the slow car. In college, I went to a conference um, with at least two incredibly excellent, no, three excellent speakers. One of them's name is Crawford Loritz, and he was preaching on 1 John, and when he came to the verse 5 of chapter 1, which says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I remember Crawford's booming voice much lower than mine, and he said, really, in the Greek, it's much more repetitive than that. In him there is no darkness, no, no darkness at all. And I looked it up in the Greek because little did I know God was calling me into ministry, and I knew Greek, and I was like, he's right. How encouraging is that? If you're familiar with the book of 1 John, it's not very similar to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so when Paul and John write similar things, we need to pay very close attention. We need both books, neither written to us, both written for us, both have so much to encourage us about the with God life and being in Christ, and here they agree. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 that Mike just read, multiple encouragements, repetitive encouragements to stop acting like you're children of darkness. Act like children of the day. Act like children of light. Live like the human that you are, a child of the day, a child of light. They were asking questions, the Thessalonians, about um, Jesus' return, and specifically about what happened to those who die before his return. Paul's both answering those questions. He received word of the questions from uh, Timothy, who went to visit the Thessalonians after Paul and Silas and Timothy had helped plant the church. And, um, yeah, it's working. It's working, Liam. By the way, that sound glitch earlier, when Mike didn't talk for just a second, that was my fault. You probably, who are watching this, already knew that. You might have thought it was the soundboard's fault. You might have thought it was Mike's fault. Nope. I wasn't even supposed to be on stage or mic'd at the time, and yeah, it was my fault. Anyway, um, I say that because it takes a team to put this together, and they are excellent. And <laughs> when there's a screw-up, oh, most of the time it's my fault. We who are not in darkness, hear the, hear the promise of that, hear the implication of that, hear the encouragement of that. So they were asking Paul questions about this, and, and Paul's both answering them, and he's encouraging them that we're not in darkness. And yes, Jesus will return. And yes, it will greatly surprise everyone who doesn't call him Lord, and even some who call him Lord that weren't living, acting, like children of the light, who are still his. It will surprise them. But those of us that are consistently worshiping, consistently in Christian community and non-Christian community, but Paul's encouragement here is about staying within Christian community, continuing to get to know our spiritual family. Those of us that continue to be faithfully present where we find ourselves through our church and not through our church, serving the least of these in our midst, serving the poor and the hungry and the immigrant and all the categories throughout the whole Bible of what followers of God do 
with their time and resources, we won't be surprised when Jesus comes. It will not be like a thief in the night to us. It will be like a thief in the night to those who are not yet followers of Christ and those who are followers of Christ who are acting like they're not, which doesn't mean they're not saved, but they'll be surprised and we won't be. This is, very, this is actually very basic stuff, and it's fascinating because the book of Second Thessalonians was written in part to clarify some questions that the Thessalonians had after receiving and hearing this letter aloud. And yet the point is relatively um, basic. Act like, live like, believe like, trust like a child of the day, a child of light, because that is who you are. And what God, what God calls you, child of light, is more true than what you think or feel about yourself. That doesn't mean what you think and feel about yourself don't matter. It's actually far more profound and encouraging than that. It means you can take these words and allow them, as Tim Keller states it, to be the living argument that they are against those voices and thoughts and emotions. And we are prone, friends, to act like children of darkness. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. That's a way, and this is, I mean, <laughs> isn't the Bible amazing? This was written 2,000 years ago to brand new followers of Christ. And yet this is how we act like children of darkness, just like them, by worrying about when is it going to happen. Jesus was so clear. Paul is so clear. The revelation is so clear that we aren't to worry about when it's going to happen. And yet we do. I, and, I, and I know that you do, and I know that some of you listen to and read teachers that are much more concerned with the times and the seasons. It doesn't get more anti-Christ in the true sense of that term, not the man of lawlessness, Second Thessalonians, like anyone that teaches something anti-Christian, to worry about the times and the seasons. Meaning, when's he going to come back? It doesn't actually get more anti-Christ than that. So if you're listening to a teacher that teaches that way, I would encourage you to find someone else to listen to in your spare time. Another way that I think we're prone to be children of darkness is we end up going to bad teachers to be formed. And we don't mean it that way. We, we think we're going to them for news. We're actually being formed by them. The, the people that you listen to on YouTube, on talk radio, on television, are forming you. Now, it doesn't mean don't listen to the news, but it definitely means like decide how much you're going to listen and then turn it off and go read a novel or watch television or watch or read, po do garden, play with your dog. Anyway, one of the ways that we're prone to acting like children of darkness is allowing ourselves to be formed by people. And I'll just stereotype the left and the right real quick. You guys love it when I do that. I know that. I know you do. It's fine. You don't have to tell me. If you're being formed by people on the left, you're going to become a more judgmental person. If you're being formed by people on the right, you're going to become more angry and more afraid. And I'm not saying don't go to them for the news. I'm saying get some news and then turn it off. And then read some essays. Or some fiction. Or garden. Or play with your dog. Or go on a walk. Or take photos with your phone instead of doom scroll on it. 
And I know that that sounds silly, and I know that it sounds like I'm hating on the news, and I'm not. I'm attempting to make relevant to the 21st century Paul's words that we're acting like people that don't have any light. I remember when the iPhone first came out and it didn't have a flashlight on it, but you could get a, an app that made it, the camera function function like a flashlight, and I thought that was so cool. And then Apple just embedded it in the technology and all those app developers I'm sure were upset. And it's so great because now we have a flashlight all the time if you carry your phone around all the time like you shouldn't and like I do too. We act like we don't have a light. And friends, how much more exponentially light-giving and light-filling is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And yet we go to other places to form us as though we do not have light. Stop acting like children of darkness, for you aren't. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. And then he gives them what always, ha what always, uh, uh, every eschatological teaching that I know of in the scripture has the same application point. After, don't worry about when it's going to happen. Jesus was so clear about this. Reread Mark 13 if you want to know about first century end time stuff that was going to happen and stuff that we're still waiting on. Jesus was so clear. Paul here is, is telling the Thessalonians, again, what they're supposed to do. The application always for end times teaching is, don't wait to act like a Christian. Don't wait to forgive. Which means to release that person from, the pain they, from your role in causing them the pain they caused you. Just let go of that. Release it. And absorb the pain. Which is far better than the alternative, which is causing them the pain. Don't wait to be generous with what you have. I was talking with a friend last night, and he's just wildly successful. We, just, we literally just start laughing about how successful he is. He's a smart guy. He's very personable. He can handle very complex things, but it's also pretty circumstantial because uh, he got into energy at the right time. And now those of you that are good friends with me know who I'm talking about. And we're just laughing because another opportunity has come up for him, and he may or may not take it. Um, it's not a new job, but uh, another opportunity. And the reason that we're laughing is he's a very committed follower of Jesus, so he knows that part of the reason he's successful is so that he can be generous with what he has, specifically to a ministry uh, to children who are in a uh, rough situation. I don't know if I should say it to an online service or not, so I'm not going to. And he and I are talking about cooking and cocktails and his job and this wild new offer in front of him that he may or may not take. And the reason we're laughing is because of what Paul is talking about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Let us not sleep as others do. And, this, and, and Paul's using here such a clever, somewhat complicated metaphor for talking both about the opportunity for a Christian in light of Jesus' imminent return and answering the question about what happens to those who have died before Jesus came back, which Paul's calling those who are asleep. So he's saying those who are dead and those who don't act like followers of Christ are having the same effect in the kingdom. They have the same, they're, they're the same amount useful to the invisible but incredibly profound and powerful kingdom of light that we have right now and then have the opportunity to act like we have. Since we belong to the day, 
let us be sober. He's mixing into the metaphor uh, drunkenness. And the opportunity, you're obviously we're less useful to the kingdom, we're less effective in the kingdom if we're drunk, right? And it's a metaphor, but we understand. So he's just mixing all these things together to make this metaphor. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and I love this, this imperfect uh, verb usage is both literally and uh, metaphorically imperfect. Meaning, of course you've already done this. Of course you've taken into your mind and emotions and very being the faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation of God. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Paul's fully expecting that they're already doing this, and he wants them to keep doing this, and many of you are as well. You're worshiping regularly, and it feels so different over the last year, and you're sticking with it, and it's making you lonely and sad and tired because the pandemic is horrible, and we're grieving it. And if anybody starts to tell you why it happened, like they start to add, just stop listening to that person. I've seen books start coming out and articles, and it's people that just write in their sleep, I guess. Maybe they have ghostwriters, and they're already like claiming the meaning, and I'm like, nope, 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 you're not for me. Like, because we don't. Ascribing meaning to something we're still in the midst of is so arrogant and ridiculous. Anyway, that's not in my notes. The point of being encouraged and reminded about the eschatological teachings of the Bible, the end-time teachings of the Bible, is that we might be encouraged to act like a child of light today. Don't wait to forgive. Don't wait to be generous. Don't wait to continue in friendship with other followers of Christ and with your neighbors who are not yet followers of Christ. Don't wait to act like one who has already put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now I want you to do something a little silly and contrived, and I have no idea if you're going to do it. Some of you will tell me, even though I'm going to actually tell you not to tell me. I want you to pick up your phone, and I want you to text a Christian that you have not seen in a while, and I want you to say to them, you're a child of light. And that's the kind of thing to the watching world, to people that are not followers of Jesus, sounds silly or condescending or weird or all of those things. But to a Christian, it reminds us that we have a good Father, and He has given to us a kingdom of light. So I'm going to do it. I hope that you do it. Where's my phone? I'm going to text a Christian I haven't seen in a while. Don't text me either, please. <laughs> Sorry, was that too aggressive? No? Okay, they're all texting. All the people in the room are texting. So I'm going to text a Christian I haven't seen in a while. I'm going to say, you are a child of light. Because we're to encourage one another with these words. This guy might turn this into a joke, but I think he'll still be encouraged. You are a child of light. We'll see what he says. Maybe, maybe not. Joseph, will you go ahead and put that picture up? Oh, you're good. That's fine. So I was uh, hiking with a friend just beyond our 
uh, retreat center property. You know, hopefully you hike here at the church periodically. Uh, there are lots of, there are hundreds of good places to hike in Connecticut, but one of them is the backyard of the church. If you're a member of the church, I hope you do this at least a, a handful of times a year because it's so beautiful. This is just behind our retreat center, just off our property um, in Wagner Woods. And I thought the sunset was beautiful. This is actually on our property. That's our, this was supposed to be a disc golf picture. My daughter's actually laying down because she got so tired of being amazing at disc golf. But as I looked at the picture later, um, I thought the sunset was beautiful. Friends, you're children of light. You have a good father who is a being of perfect light. And he has called you into his kingdom. And the opportunity that you have in the meantime is to act like a child of light and to resist acting like a child of darkness. The Thessalonians are not in darkness. They are to stay awake and they're to seek the good of the gathering. That's the New Testament word for church. It's not a building. It's the gathering of the followers of Christ. And Paul gives a whole bunch of things in a row here that he expands on in other places. Um, but among, among other things, he, he says to respect those who admonish. Um, and I think he's talking about local elders because one of the most humbling parts of being an elder is you are to admonish, which means to encourage people that you see acting like a Christian. And when we see especially a pattern of sinful behavior, we say to them, please stop usually in a living room with tears and prayers. And uh, we had three elders this past year step down because their term limits are up, and our book of government of the Presbyterian Church uh, demands that we not wear people out. I'm so thankful for it. I want to say to those of you listening, especially those that are members of this church, it cost those men to be elders here, to admonish. Some listened to the admonishment. Some did not listen. It cost them. We ask you, brothers, this is verse 12, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Paul's implying and stating something that I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on, but I do need to say out loud. Authority is a good thing. And if you knew me in junior high or high school or college or even to about, oh man, maybe at like 30 years old. <laughs> I did not act like it was a good thing and I struggled with it. My first boss in full-time ministry said, uh, you have a maverick tendency and it needs to, you need to deal with it. And he was right. Um, and by God's grace, I believe I learned from that. And my boss before I came to this church would say that I learned well. I don't know where you are with authority. I don't know how fond or not fond of it you are. Um, and yes, abused authority is egregiously harmful and horrific. Perhaps you're keeping up with Christian news this week and you know about some horrible examples of uh, abusive authority. But authority in and of itself is a good thing and God-given. What else is implied in verses 12 through 15 we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. What's implied is that you're fully, actively engaged in the work of the local church. And I know that it's more challenging to uh, figure that out right now than even it was uh, last year. Paul's fully expecting that if you're a follower of Christ, you're engaged actively within the local church. I have a question that might stimulate some of you to think about this differently. How would you be involved in the church if we had 35 members? We don't. We have about 150 if you uh, take out those that are members who don't live here, like our missionaries, which matter. Their membership matters, and when you're here, we expect you to act like members, but when you're not here, you can't be a trustee, right? You know what I'm saying, missionaries. Don't be offended, Janie. You're amazing. She is. (laughs) Um, Those of you that are here, Paul fully expects you to worship with the saints and to help the worship of the saints flourish, whether that's through tech, Sunday school, greeting, ushering, musical worship, teaching up here, praying up here, hospitality. One of, he's expecting that. He's expecting that you will be, uh, that your friendships will be stronger in 2022 with your spiritual family here in the church than they were in 2021, than they are now. He expects people to know your story a little bit better and for you to know theirs a little bit better. We do that through Bible study. We do that through informal groups. We do that through serving together. And he expects... Here he's not talking as much about um, faithful presence as he is about the internal flourishing of the church. And I want to remind you, because some of you, the reason that you're uh, resistant to getting more involved in the church is you've been harmed by the church, either in your perception or in truth. And what I mean by that is uh, you could have your facts a little bit mixed up, maybe. Maybe you're spot on. But throughout the scriptures, we're given this commandment. So Jesus said, love one another. And Jesus said, love one another. Then Jesus said, love one another. And Jesus said, love one another. And then Paul says, love one another. And then Paul says, love one another two chapters ago. Then Peter says, love one another. Then the apostle John says it, perhaps the most repetitively, six times in two of his three letters to the churches and certainly implies it. Those texts are about your spiritual family. Those are not about your biological family. Those are not about your neighbor's They're not even about your spouse, though there's plenty in the Bible about all of those categories. We have wisdom, guidance from Christ about them. They're about learning to do family with your spiritual family. And I know it's challenging, among other reasons, because your pastor's bad at administration, and he sometimes says things flippantly, and he really likes things that you're not sure he should like, like cigars. I know, I know this is, we are an imperfect, I, I, I say that all the time. We are a not yet purified bride of Christ in this locality. We continue to sin, though the Holy Spirit is within us, ever sanctifying us. And if you attend, if you, if you engage in spiritual community and you haven't, it's going to harm you. But it is more good for you 
than the amount that it will harm you. I believe that. Not every time. Sometimes you end up with really wild and crazy people. But it is important that we both seek the good of the church and be actively engaged in it. And then Paul moves on to what he takes as basic Christian practice. Rejoice always. And that does not mean be cheerful always. It doesn't mean smile always. It doesn't mean you're supposed to feel a certain way ever, much less always. It means you can receive the contentment of knowing that God is good all the time and in every circumstance. You can receive and take in and rest in and be confident in the living argument of the gospel of Jesus Christ in any and every circumstance. Paul expands on this in the letter to the Philippians. Mentions joy 15 or 16 times. A letter written while in prison. And absolutely one of the sweetest gifts of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we can actually receive contentment in all things. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean don't stop Like, that doesn't mean don't do your work. That doesn't mean you need to pray while you're driving, though some of you love to pray while you're driving. It means continue to persist in prayer. One of my very favorite stories about dealing with the uh, pastor nominating committee was they all heard me say in a sermon that I don't pray every day. As a young preacher, and now I don't ever make these mistakes, which is terrific, but then, thank you for knowing that was a joke, But then I would say things even more flippantly than now. If you think I go on rabbit trails now, go back and listen to some of my sermons from Riverside Church. Holy smokes, rabbit trails galore. What Dave Simpson used to call tufted. He would call my sermons tufted. I still don't know what that means. Anyway, what I meant was I don't use my prayer journal every week or every day um, because I, at the time, was very reliant upon a prayer journal. And what's funny about it is this almost ruined my candidacy. And what's even funnier is they never asked me about it (laughs) to this day. (laughs) You can say I'm wrong. You were on the nominating committee, to my knowledge. Anyway, and it's all, it worked out. Like, it's fine, right? The encouragement here is to pray regularly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verses 16 through 18 are about receiving the peace of Jesus that transcends all understanding, receiving the confidence in him regardless of circumstance. It is ours. That's part of the wonderful gift of the kingdom that we receive through him. Verses 19 through 22 is talking about being a wise Christian. Do not quench the spirit. What does that mean? Resist it. The spirit is guiding you into life. When you sin, that's quenching the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. What are prophecies? In this context, prophecy is a Christian encouraging you with words that are Christian influenced but not straight from the Bible. And sometimes they're not true. Read Deuteronomy 18. Not all prophecies that humans speak are true. All of God's prophecies are true. And we need to understand what their purpose was in order to understand how they could be true. Because prophecies have different purposes. Not all prophecies that humans tell us are true, which is why Paul says, test everything, hold fast what is good. 
And this is significant. Will Downey, our youth director, pointed this out to me yesterday. Significantly softer language than Deuteronomy 18. If you don't believe me that not all prophecies spoken by humans in the name of God are true, just double check Deuteronomy 18. Abstain from every form of evil. So Paul's giving basic Christian encouragement. There is wisdom available to you through the scriptures and through the spiritual community of faith who will speak prophecy, which is truth about your life to you. They won't always be right, but sometimes they will. So we attempt to be wise as humans. Wise in all ways of life. How we use our words and things and time and skills and hands and voice. And then Paul gives a final encouragement, benedictory and very mundane at the same time. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Two uh, falls ago, I preached on Revelation. And I thought it was a lot of fun. I don't know about you. Gosh, some of those weeks that the scripture readers had to cover two chapters, they had to say sexual immorality like 14 times. But I thought it was really fun. And the, the thing that people have told me that they remember most clearly is a summary of the book of Revelation by uh, Marva Don, who is a theologian in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And she summarized the book of Revelation this way. Jesus is king. Satan thinks he is. Hang in there. Paul is saying something very similar, very eschatological, very grounded in the kingly reign of Jesus that is not yet visible in order to encourage you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Boy, that sounds hard to do. Right, that's why Paul says, He will surely do it. He who is in you will do it. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us to remember and to act in light of the light of your gospel. And would you help us to resist acting like those who are in darkness? Would you help us to stay awake and alert to the ways of the kingdom? Would you help us to seek the good of this church that she might reflect who you are? Would you enliven our spirits in our worship of you that we might indeed give thanks in all circumstances because of your gospel and the provision of it. Amen.